Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Thanks, Live guys. from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, retail's Mr. Fix-It, the man whose industry record spans decades, tell, tells us how he'd save America's struggling retailers. Alan Questrom joins us exclusively. Plus, trucking along, why tonight could be an electric night for Tesla investors, we will explain. And later, a stealth software stock that needs to be on your radar heading into next week will bring you that name. But we begin with a brokerage bombshell, a source telling CNBC that Charles Schwab is in talks to buy TD Ameritrade. The merger would create a behemoth with more than $5 trillion in combined assets and consolidated space already undergoing massive upheaval. It all started just a few weeks ago when Schwab cut commissions to zero. That move sparking a flurry of headlines over the frantic race to the bottom. TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, Fidelity all following suit, but with today's news of a possible deal between two of the giants, has the race to zero become a sprint for survival? Guy. I don't know. Well, hello there, Mel. Oh, hello. I don't know if it's a race to zero. I don't know if it's a sprint to survival. I think it's genius by Schwab, and I think Dan Nathan, to my right, alluded to it few weeks ago when this all happened. I think Schwab was genius, cut rates to zero, watched the rest of their competitors go to zero effectively in terms of the stock. I mean, TD Ameritrade went from 50 to 32, almost in a straight line. And then a couple weeks later, make an announcement like this. So they probably are buying the stock or buying the company at levels that they wouldn't have been able to buy them a month or so ago. So good for them. This makes Schwab a huge force now in the business and the play. They are the force. They they were forced, but even more so now. And quickly, I think people say, well, E-Trade's next to go. Yeah, maybe. Not so fast. I think there's still room on the downside. And the second derivative play, in my opinion, a Morgan Stanley, for example, I think you're going to see, in my opinion, I think you're going to see advisors sort of flee the wirehouses more so than they have and go to names like this where they can hang their shingle, do their thing, get paid more, own their business. And I think this could be really negative for Morgan Stanley. It wasn't today. I think it could be. What is, uh, what is Charles Schwab buying? What would they be buying? Well, exactly? it's interesting. So, so Matt Levine at Bloomberg, um, you know, he had a really good piece out today saying that Schwab broke a- Ameritrade so they could buy it. And, and if you think about it, and, you know, you just kind of went through what was the lost revenue going forward yeah. from commissions. I think, you know, 7% of Schwab's um, revenues were commissions versus 36% for Ameritrade. And so really what they're trying to do is ag- obviously aggregate assets, but they also want this active trader thing because they are going to cross-sell. They're going to get new revenues out of these asset bases. So to me, I, I guess the biggest thing that I would just say is that these have become commoditized utilities, right? When you see the pricing of certain services go down like that and there's not a whole heck of a lot of differentiation, I'll just tell you this. I know the guys at Ameritrade over there, they have good they have good tools you know they have good stuff so when you put all this stuff together i think you're going to probably find better education better tools and you know and then they figure out how to cross sell a lot of different things look what they buy they bought a brand i mean come on they bought a
a very sticky brand. These two names together, it's $80 billion in market cap. We said it's $5 trillion at the top of the show. No one's close to them. And, and think about, again, the stickiness of the asset base. Guy brings up just some, some dynamics going on in, in the RIA and the investment management business. But the people that are with these two companies um, probably have been there for a long time. People don't really switch. So the fact that they've gotten that big of a head start on everybody else, mm-hmm. uh, and essentially, as we've talked about, kind of put the competition out of the game when, look, if you were listening to TD's calls over the last year, uh, you were hearing frustration from analyst community, whatever, executing all day long. But where's the growth coming from? Where's the growth coming from? And, and let's face it. I mean, this is this was the question. The M&A question was the one everyone was asking. Uh, I don't think they expected this. I think they expected E-Trade. Uh, but look at this. Karen? I just think it's brilliant. I mean, it was only September 30th that Schwab did this. So the targets probably lost more in market cap, right? I mean, they were able to buy. It's only it's only what it was seven weeks later. This has to have been started before today. These discussions, right? They seem to be very far along. That's got to be a couple of week process. Think about how quickly they went out there. They did this. Crushed everyone's business and then are seemingly able to buy a big swath of assets. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Now, obviously, it's a land grab. What do you do? You, I mean, if you're left, if you're an interactive broker, right, if right. you're an E-Trade, you've you got to be scambling because it's only going to get harder for you now. Not e- it's already hard enough as opposed to September 30. Is it even possible for a Morgan Stanley or a Goldman Sachs to, to buy, buy one of these platforms? I mean, from a regulatory perspective, even. I would think absolutely from a regulatory yeah. perspective. It's right? I mean, the amount of assets you know, out there... You know what's there, so funny? But, that is such a 1999 question. Those, those literally, if Fast Money existed in 1999, those were the questions that were being asked. Will E-Trade get... No, I'm just saying, we're partying like it's 1990, 20 years later. I mean, that, that's really... Be. It's really interesting to think of the evolution. They were massive disruptors in the 90s. You know, Schwab were, was yeah. a massive disruptor well, in the 70s. These or day tech. No, I... I I get it. I, yeah, but the, so so the thing is, I think the only path forward though is really consolidation amongst what we would used to call the discounters, and now we just call them online. Well, and, and disruptors who are getting disrupted themselves, right? So Robinhood came out. Yeah. So you had you, had, yeah. you basically had platforms that were saying we're, yeah, we're throwing this out. So, so they were disrupted, and, and they jumped ahead, and all those you know you know they skated where the mm. puck was going, and all that yeah. stuff, and and boom, and here we are today, and nobody's even close. But one last thing about antitrust. I mean, the customer is paying zero now for a lot of things. It's hard. I mean, maybe in, maybe the administration would have some problem. I doubt it. The, the, the market share is, is an issue, is right? I mean, the, I don't those know. Are, but you know what's really interesting? When you think about the combined revenues of these two what companies, it's like $16 billion. Dollars and got, got, a guy just mentioned Morgan Stanley. It's yeah. a, a company that's going to have a similar market cap to the combined entities, and it's got $40 billion in sales. It's just much more diversified. So I think that you could see a, a big um, investment bank buy I something like that. It would just be a much smaller percentage of their whole. Um, it actually makes it more competitive in a way. If you see six online brokers go to three, that's not a great situation. That's when regulators start to get their antennas up. Just think about in the wireless space, when, when they weren't even allowing like three and four to merge, when you had these, this duopoly, which right. was AT&T and Verizon, I think you'll probably get to that point at some point, not too distant future. Yeah, I mean, Schwab was genius for a number of reasons, not least of which only think like seven or eight percent of their revenues were driven by commissions where E-Trade and some of these other places are anywhere from 15 percent to 30 percent. So they could say, you know what, we can afford to go to zero. But now you have to look at Schwab, the stock, and say, does it make sense at these levels? Stock obviously rallied today, but it trades close to 20, t- 20 times next year's earnings with no real significant EPS growth. It's going to take time to make this all happen. I mean, my inclination is if you're tracing Schwab here, you're trading wrong. And, and here's, here's the other thing about that chart. 
that chart is a function of a 10-year bull market. I mean, on some level, think about the market that these guys have been in. Think about a low interest rate environment. The $5 trillion combined in assets also has something to do with home equity loans and, and, and revolving credit and things that they're offering. That's, that's huge business. That's huge margin business. And that's great for them. I'm just saying, if you think and you're concerned about the cyclicality of this type of a business, where we are in the market cycle, um, that's another reason to be very cautious. That's kind of what guys talk about. does this deal make them better suited for the, for the downturn that is yet to come. It, it makes them better suited for a market-connected downturn. But but let's be clear. We talk every day about the consumer. Guy talks about how levered they are, their penchant for spending, um, and their want for spending. And and so th- that's the story. Is the is the U.S. consumer levered? And there's no question that they're 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 borrowing money from these banks, who I don't think are giving it away, and, and they have collateral at these places. But that's part of the core business. I, well, I think Tim's right. The correlation with the market, right, is is clearly there. But also. I mean, if rates move higher, that's really good. Well, well, hold on. They just took out their number one competitor. How many industries do you see that happen? And then when you think about how levered to technology they are, think about how much cost they're going to take out. I mean, no matter what the market does, two years out, three years out, this is going to be a home run for you know the fact that they are not competing on a marketing front. These guys spend hundreds they, of millions they, of dollars I, I a year trying to get more, their... But it could trade down if the market's down. Of course. It's, right. Yeah, we're in agreement. But, okay. Dennis being, I mean, listen <laughs> to you. really dismissive, Sam. No, no, no. I mean, we're in agreement. No, that's as good as it gets for us right here. Yeah. Oh, should we not talk to Dan? Dan, Dan, Dan we can shut him out. Let's have fun exercise. I think that's really impossible. Let's play Karnak. <laughs> oh, I like that game when you, you put the card up and say, okay. okay. The, next, the next combination in this space will be... Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I think at a certain point, E-Trade goes. I don't know if it's Goldman Sachs that's going to gobble up, but I think E-Trade will go, but I think there's going to be pain... For the next couple months, it's going to be very painful for E-Trade. I think they're going to let that one sort of die in the vine, and then somebody will come in and gobble it up. But if I had to guess, E-Trade goes March of next year. How's that? Like that? Do you want to play Karnak? Sure. Uh, I think it's probably. Is he more. allowed back? Yeah. Oh, I'm, very I'm, back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. You guys wouldn't think you're going to see me until the C block, but uh, I'm back. No, I think it's probably your Robin Hood, Tim. I mean, oh. I think it's like you get a little aqua hire action. You get those guys, these two young guys. They well, kind it could of be create... a take private. I mean, there's different. I think you're also yeah. talking about there, there could be private equity money that sees a lot of value in E Trade. I'm sure E Trade's not going away tomorrow. Let's be clear. I think what we're talking about is who's in the pole position. But uh, how about a money center bank? I mean, how about to uh, yeah. me? Yeah. That business uh, is most of more sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I, private equity does. I mean, you need to it's scale. It's all about scale and reduction of cost. So right. it has to be well, somebody giant I, that I, would I, make the most sense. But if it's private equity is also great at taking businesses uh-huh. private that are in, in in structurally difficult times and finding and finding the valuable assets, selling off the pieces. You know, that's so not the total playbook. Let me ask but, you guys, this is shareholders. Mm-hmm. If Citigroup or Bank of America, one of those two, let's say, said tomorrow we're going to buy E Trade. Would you be happy about it? Or For the right price, I would be. Um, and, and I think, again, their businesses are complimentary. Uh, and, and Citibank uh, and Bank of America have booming, thriving wealth management RAA businesses as well that I think this makes a lot of sense. But the infrastructure, the pipes, everything they have makes a lot of sense. Karen? Yeah, I agree. I think, it would, I think it would, it's a chance for them to reduce costs and run more efficiently. And, yeah, I would. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, coming up. Don't ask Dan. Yeah. He played Karnak already. Coming up, stocks finishing in the red today, and one top technician has two names to buy. If you're looking for shelter amid the pullback, he'll reveal what they are. Plus, former JCPenney CEO Alan Questrom will give us his retail roundup. He'll break down the winners and losers of the retail space. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this.
you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. The record rally taking a breather this week with the Dow and S&P 500 falling hard for the third straight day. And if you think this is the beginning of an even bigger pullback, our next guest says uh, he's got a few ideas on where to take cover. Fundstrat's Rob Slimer over at the Plasma to break it all down. Hey, Rob. Hey, Melissa. Thanks very much. So let's take a look at the short term. Pretty much every technical analyst on the street's been worried about this little short term peak developing. I think it's really important we keep it into context. So here's the market starting to come off just a little bit. A lot of support down in that 3,025 range. I'm not sure we're even going to get down that far. We're still pretty bullish on the market. We have been all year. And we think the playbook that we saw in 2019, where we get these momentum peaks here and here and here and now here, is unlikely to give us the same sort of pullbacks that we saw through the bulk of 2019. Why is that? Well, if you take a look at the longer-term chart, we think the playbook's changed. And we've, we've used this chart a number of times before, but what's really important here is this long-term uh, picture of the S&P in the top panel. That's the 200-week moving average. It tracks the four-year average for the market, and it's such a good barometer for where the long-term support is. We saw it in 2011, we saw it in 16, and we saw it in uh, 18 as well. So we think coming out of this trading range, we're still in a whole new market cycle, and we're in that second up leg. This indicator in the bottom, not that many people follow it, but it's a copic curve. And it's a very good way, at least we found it very good over the years, to track when we're getting into these cycle lows. There was one back in 2011 and 12, another one in 16, and, we, and down in here. This cycle should carry us out into 2021, 22. So we still think there's more upside for equities in general. However, there's a lot of people that are still concerned about the market. Caterpillar is not a defensive name by any means, but the key point here is we still think we're not going to see that much of a pullback. So this downtrend's been broken. You're getting a little bit of a pullback. In fact, what was interesting today when the market was down, the semis were getting hit, cyclicals were up, banks were up, uh, we, and, and yields were up. So we still think there's more upside in these cyclical names. Maybe a little volatile, but we still think they're going higher. That relative performance trend that's been in place for two years is reversed. Very similar to what we saw in 2016. So if you're concerned about the market, I can understand not wanting to buy Caterpillar. Our view is it still goes higher well into the first quarter. But you want a defensive name? I think J&J is well-suited right here, right now. There's that 200-week moving average. It's sitting on it. For reference, if you think about what Nike did in 2017, that's the exact same spot before it took off. And that's exactly where uh, Disney was in 2018, just hovering around the 200-week moving average and getting ready to go. Sure, it's weak. It hasn't had a lot of performance, but that's exactly what Nike and Disney look like over the last couple of years. So defensive name, I'd st stick with Johnson Johnson. Rob Slimer, come on over. Bring him over. Bring the chair over as he so aptly does. You know, Will got the state. Remember I mentioned he hurt his head? He hit his head. And he got staples. He got yeah. staples. He had the staples removed. removed. So yes, so Will is all his red head. Of course. Okay. I mean, anyway, he's not a redhead. Neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. Um, I understand you're a technical strategist, but when you present these ideas to clients, what's their reaction? I would think that <laughs> that you get a lot of pushback. On, to on, on the cyclicals? Just laughing at you. So, on, no, just on John, in Johnson Johnson and Caterpillar, because John, Caterpillar, for one, is, is, tie, is in the crosshairs of the China trade war. 100%. Johnson Johnson's got, got all this litigation risk. I mean, right. So we, we've been bullish on cyclicals through the year. 
I think we got the semi-call fairly well throughout the year. The turn in the cyclicals looks very long-term to us, at least, at least through 2020. Uh, we see it with names like J.P. Morgan breaking out a big trading range. The pushback is tremendous. Nobody wants to own deep value. Nobody wants to own cyclicals. And I tell you, if you look at the charts, they look pretty convincing to me, particularly from a long-term standpoint. I can understand we get a bit of volatility into year-end around some of, some of these names that have run. I think Cat's up, what, 26% off the November lows, October lows. Uh, and then on J&J, yes, there's pushback. But I think that's great. That's what we want to hear. We want to hear people don't like these names. That's how people get back into the stock. So, so are you saying that, uh, let's talk about if something goes wrong with China trade, right, that the cyclicals have a different risk-reward built into them at these prices than the market on, uh, I mean, on I, a whole? I, I think we have to make the assumption, and it's an assumption that if, it could be. If, if, there's, if trade goes bad, there's, these stocks are going to get hit. But again, when, if you step back, a lot of these stocks have been under pressure for two years. And while trade has been part of the issue, I think a lot of it's been the economy. And the backdrop, when you, you talk to Tom Lee on the fund strat on the fundamental side, uh, you know, the ISMs look like they're about to bottom. I think it's more about the economy than it is about the trade deal. So, yes, it'll be volatility, but I, I don't think they're going down that much. So, Rob, it seems like the same part of that trade is, would then also be Germany and, and, and trade economies. Yes, um, would EM. Be, yeah, it would be emerging markets, would be a FedEx. I mean, do you feel the same way about are these charts all similar to you? Very similar. They, most of them, FedEx is a little bit of a different animal, but generally when you go across the industrials and the transports, the banks, it's the same profile, one to two years down, right to their long-term secular uptrend, which I think is really important. Uh, Germany is somewhat similar. EM looks the same way. And part of that trade is I think the dollar is peaking longer term. And that's going to be a very controversial call, but I think that's what's happening. I think it's going to be a big tailwind for cyclicals. Thank you, Rob. Rob Slimer of Fundstrat. Would you rather on this side of the desk? Well, not Caterpillar. I mean, I hear what Rob is saying. Cats had a move. You go back to their third quarter on October 23rd. It was miserable. Missed on EPS, missed on revenue. And then their prior guidance, which you could drive one of their tractors through, was oh, up from nice. 11. It's true. 1175 to 1275 was their guidance. They ratcheted that down to 1059 to 1109. So now you have negative EPS growth, and it trades at too big a valuation. So I understand if you think some magical China deal is going to happen, and all of a sudden every every rig in the country is going to have a Caterpillar label next to it. I just don't see that happening. I would take profits. Yeah, listen, I'm not playing your game, but you know, back to what? his SPX, I the, the S&P 500, here. and he's <laughs> calling for a, a, a little pullback. Let me tell you this. The December 31st quarterly SPY, that's the ETF that tracks the S&P 500, the at-the-money put is less than $5. That's 1.5%. The S&P is up 24%. If you thought you wanted protection between now and the end of the year, it costs you one and a half percent. That's pretty astounding, and it tells you there's a level of complacency right here. And I think you're probably going to be right back towards that, uh, you know, that 300 level in the or 3,000, I guess, in the SP. Sure yeah, I think you're going to get a very shallow consolidation. Well, and I brought it back. Uh oh, Dan and I is so in trouble. We'll should take your chair out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we'll take Robert all day long. Thank you again, Rob. For more on the markets, head on over to our website, cnbc.com. Here's what else we've got coming up on Fest. Retail at the forefront again today with earnings from Gap and Nordstrom. We dive into the numbers and look for the winners and losers in the space. And then we explore the universe of under-the-radar software companies to find out how the options market is betting on Viva Systems. Those stories and more when Fast Money returns. What? 
Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. The retail earnings keep rolling in. Shares of Nordstrom and Gap both on the move after reporting results. Let's get to Courtney Reagan back at headquarters with all of the de- details. Courtney. Hi, Melissa. So Nordstrom shares are up almost 9% here after beating earnings by a wide margin, increasing full-year guidance, so that one just by a bit. The off-price Nordstrom rack business, positive sales growth, 1.2% on less inventory, so that's good. But the department store sales business unit saw net sales fall more than 4%. Overall, fewer markdowns in the quarter, so that did help grow margins. On the call, executives said there's been a, quote, strong response to that new New York City flagship just one month in and a stronger sales lift more so than expected at the men's store across the street. Co-president Eric Nordstrom said, quote, opening this flagship has been perhaps the most important milestone in our company's long history. First imagined about 20 years ago, and it took seven years from start to finish to open those doors. Well, gap shares, those are higher, too, as the adjusted earnings came in slightly better than that pre-announced number two weeks ago. The comps, though, unchanged, down 4 percent. And that lowered full-year earnings guidance, that one was reaffirmed. On the call, interim CEO Robert Fisher said the search for a new permanent CEO is moving with, quote, urgency. And the company is looking at both internal and external candidates. Fisher also said the old Navy spin out is moving forward. The board and I continue to believe in the strategic rationale of the separation and the benefits it is expected to provide. First, the focus provided by separation will enable both Gap Inc. and Old Navy to better serve their two distinct customer sets, each with an operating model tailored to their respective business needs. Fisher continued to say, look, Old Navy is competing with rivals that have a singular focus on value. That's what it needs to do. He also said the separation will ultimately drive improved cost efficiencies in the rebuilding of both the operational structures and the operating models for both companies, the Gap brands that remain, and then Old Navy by itself. The big question, Melissa, was is that was that spin out going to continue now that Art Peck is no longer CEO? And as of now, yes. Back over to you. All right, Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan back at headquarters. Um, Let's get a quick trade first, Karen, in terms of these names. Well, once again, we're seeing the haves and the haves not, although have not. JWN is the most interesting to me. They actually raised their midpoint from 332 to 340. So an $0.08 cent raise. They were trading at a 10 multiple. That should have been an $0.80 cent improvement in the stock. And yet it's up 10 percent. Right. So people clearly were pessimistic. The bar was very low going in. And uh, so they, they managed to hop over it. Macy's, on the other hand, the bar was very low. They still tripped over it. And I mean, I don't know how I, I, it's, 
it's it's I, it's going to be tough sledding. Well, we'll get, we'll get to it. Yeah, it's been a week of hits, runs, and errors in the retail space. So let's mm. get some perspective from a man who has spent more than five decades in the industry. Alan Questrom's retail resume runs deep. He's known for holding top jobs at J.C. Penney, Neiman Marcus, Macy's, and Barney's New York, and has served on Walmart's board as well. He's now a director for the retailer at home. Alan, welcome back to Fast Money. Great to see you. Nice to be here. So many people have called for the death of the department store. Here we are. We've got a few reports. Some were misses, some were hits. What's your assessment of where we are right now in this space? I, I think the, the department store, and particularly the mall business, is under, going under an enormous change. And I think, quite frankly, we need to see a continue, continuous closing of stores. I would say another 30%. Uh, we have just too many stores. I think the good news that you've heard from Nordstrom, even though their business was down, they have fewer stores. I think they can put the kind of attention into those fewer stores that are needed in the department store space. The stores have got to be exciting. There's got to be a reason for being there. And quite frankly, right now, I don't know what the reason to go to Penny's or what the reason to go to Macy's is. If you go into the Nordstrom store, quite frankly, you go in, they have terrific sales associates. Their new store that they just opened has a tremendous presentation of food, which brings a lot of energy and it brings people back into the store on a regular basis, particularly in the city. That may not work so well in the suburbs. I think one of the things you see when you see the Walmarts and you see the Targets, they have a grocery store business. That grocery store business at Walmart is over 57% of their business. Mm -hmm. That means people are coming in every week to buy. In the case of the department stores, they don't have that. People are not coming in because now they can buy it on the Internet. And it, it's not that it, they have their Internet business themselves, but the point is if I don't come in to buy it in the store, I miss all those impulse purchases. So I buy my bra or I buy my underwear, but now I don't come in to I buy that on the Internet, but now I don't pick up all those impulse purchases. That is the biggest thing that is hurting the, the, the malls and the department stores is people are not coming into the stores as often. They're not visiting as many stores as they come in because they've already pre-planned through their, their iPhone. Right. And that is, this has all happened in the last 10, 12 years since the iPhone has become the dominant force of people's communication today. I mean, I agree with that. I mean, I have a Bloomingdale's three blocks from my house, and I haven't set foot there for a long time, but I have bought online. Um, Alan, I'm just, I'm curious. Well, you should go, you should go to the Bloomingdale's store now because they've renovated it, and I think they've done a All terrific right. job in the contemporary side. Maybe I'll give it a tr I'll give it a whirl <laughs> <laughs> on your recommendation. Um, is it that the stores, that the chains are reluctant to close fast enough? I was talking to Larry, Terry Lundgren, formerly of Macy's, earlier this week, and he basically said the same thing. We're just completely overstored. I think his number was a little bit lower, maybe 20, 25 percent of stores still need to close. Is it just that department stores don't have the courage to actually make those really hard decisions? fast enough? Well, they ha it's, it's a matter of giving up a lot of volume. And in fact, you may uh -huh. end up giving a lot, but a lot of volume and a lot of profit on the short term. But remember, uh, Walmart and Target both were willing to give up volume and profit as they put in the changes that they put in place two, three years ago. That has resulted in big improvements in their, in their profitability and in their sales. And it's really about how do I make my store a reason to be? And quite frankly, right now, I'm not sure why you wanted to go to Bloomingdale's or why you wanted to go to Macy's, why you wanted to go to Nordstrom. I think Nordstrom has done a better job if when you do go into the store, they have very good salespeople who really help you through the transaction. And I think many of the department stores have lost the, the touch with the people. The people are not involved with the customer. Many of them are not even trained. 
And, and that's an enormous de detriment. In addition to the fact the stores are not neat and exciting. So that has to be done. And I think you can do that better by focusing in on a fewer, fewer stores than they have today, whether it's 20 percent or 30 percent. It needs to be less of them. And we need to put more attention into those stores to make sure that you got the right sales associates, you got the right assortment, and you make mm -hmm. the assortments exciting so that people want to come in and see what's new, what's different. And right now, that's not happening. Where are the winners in the space, Alan? And do you own any retail stocks aside from the places where you've worked? I tend to not to buy retail stock because I'm in that business and I'm okay. not always as objective. <laughs> but I, but <laughs> I tell you, if I was gonna if I was gonna buy if I was gonna buy stock, it would be it would continue to be a Target or Walmart or Home Depot, RH Restoration. How I think he's done a spectacular job of creating new ideas and making it an exciting place to shop. The Questrom retail basket. I want to ask you about one last thing, Alan, and that is the thing that concerns you most because I think this is very interesting. The whole consignment trend that we're seeing with the likes of a Poshmark and the Real Real. Do you really think this could be a threat to the retail business at large? I think it's, a sm it's going to be a small business. I do. Okay. I think if, pe if people say that they don't want to buy new clothes because it's bad for the environment, that may be a difference. <laughs> but I think people still want to buy new clothes. But there's not a lot of new things out there that you think you, you really need to add to your assortment. Oh, okay. So it's the merchandise's fault at this point. It's not exciting enough. Yeah, and I think it's it's also the, it's, it's more the people's fault because it's, it's the managers who have to make those changes and the right. creators have to come up with interesting ideas. All right. Alan, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. Nice to be with you. Alan Questrom joining us from Dallas tonight. Always good to get his insights. So what do you think of uh, Mr. Questrom's retail basket? I, I, I like it. First of all, I mean, it's hard to argue with Target and Walmart. I mean, Target, yeah. who needs to own, you know, Bitcoin and, and, and other high octane? I mean, Target's cannabis. been emerging <laughs> cannabis. I mean, you, you can own Target and have the kind of returns that you've had across the board. So um, what's interesting is, is he also had Lowe's in his list of folks that have lost touch with their customers. That's pretty interesting because Lowe's just gave you numbers that were actually quite strong, even though they do. You know, they traded a two-turn discount to, to Home Depot. Uh, but I, I think the big box stores, you can also make an argument that there's too much competition in too many stores. And I think that the valuations here are a little bit scary. You know, here on the Fast Money, we try new things. And we've recently tried something. Why are you smiling at me, Dan? I don't know. I... We, you're, Dan's being so mean to everybody <laughs> what tonight. What are you talking about? But we, I... we started something I... called the Chart of the Week. Do you uh, recall yes, that, Melissa Lee? And, and the most recent weekly. Chart of the Week yeah. was the restoration hardware. And I still think on valuation, I, I still think that stock can go higher. And quickly, Nordstrom's. I hear what Karen is saying. They beat this quarter EPS by 18 cents. They only ratcheted up guidance for the full year by, I think, a nickel, maybe seven cents. So I can understand maybe why the stock. I thought this stock should have been north of 40 post earnings. I was right in my assertion that you have a short covering rally. I was wrong from the level that would happen. I thought it would be from 38 to 42. It looks like it's going to be from 34 and a half to 37. Are oh, you going to say something mean? Uh, no, I was just saying you, you brought up the real real. And I think that niches like that are really interesting, especially when we're spending so much time talking about overstored sort of things. There's a company that's growing sales 30 percent a year. Yes, it's niche, but that's going to be a feature on Amazon or some other sort of site. It's probably not going to be a standalone for too long, great brand, and there's always going to be an opportunity for resale and that sort of thing. So I think it's interesting. Coming up, pot stocks taking center stage during last night's Democratic debate, but we'll tell you why they're really lighting up today. Plus, more potential political ad changes for Google. We'll bring you the latest details. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Issues do matter. I, I have a lot of respect uh, for, for the vice president. He is swore me into my office as a hero. This week I hear him literally say that I don't think we should legalize marijuana. I, 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 
I thought you might have been high when you said it. That was Cory Booker taking swipes at former Vice President Joe Biden's stance on marijuana at last night's Democratic presidential debate. Cannabis stocks soaring for a second straight day today. So um, is this cannabis craze turning a corner at this point? I mean, they, they got we got to we got to let's take this with a grain of salt after the, the battering early in the week. There's yeah. an argument that maybe Monday, Tuesday, we actually Monday, we had that capitulation moment blood in the streets. But the, the positives of the last few days. So you have uh, Congress voting for the first time on federal prohibition ending it. I mean, that, that's something that um, the, the more is the acronym and the E is expungement, which is what Cory Booker's talking about. That's exciting stuff. That's very important stuff. Ontario is out today. And if you listen to all the Canadian LPs in their debit devastatingly bad earnings. They talked about how Ontario, the one place where they actually need to have retail open to sell all these high octane or high margin products, um, is, is not been doing it. That was a major issue. Ontario comes out today, says they're going to change that dramatically. Then you have U.S. operators like Cureleaf and GTI in the last couple of days are profitable, actually don't need to come to market necessarily. GTI's numbers were fantastic. And I think you have a dynamic here where people could see the profitability uh, at the end of the rainbow. Doesn't change the dynamics in capital markets a bit. It's a very difficult time. Shouldn't that be a push-pull for the U.S. operators, though? I mean, what you said about the House moving forward or closer to federal legalization and them being profitable, federal legalization would be bad for them. Well, I think, first of all, if you ask a lot of the companies, the the big multi-state operators, while it it affects their profitability, they're very happy building the businesses that they're building. And look, you're seeing separation between the haves and the have-nots in the multi-state dynamics. I don't think, by the way, the the, the real reading of that in the House isn't going to come till late 2020. It's a momentous event towards legalization, gives people a sense it is happening, but you're right, the industry doesn't want it to happen that quickly. It's all about profitability. It doesn't change the trends in in the short run, but we got so oversold. Canopy growth is up 50% in three days. Okay, this is extraordinary. It's the biggest company in cannabis and added two billion in market cap. That's noteworthy. Doesn't mean it changes everything. It just means that things were really overdone. From the politics of pot to the advertising of politics, Google making some big changes as we gear up for the 2020 election. Let's get to Julia Borson with the details. Hey, Julia. Melissa, Google announcing that it will stop giving advertisers, political advertisers, the ability to micro-target their political ads. That means that candidates will be able to target based on age and gender and postal code, but not using data about political affiliations or public voter records. Google also clarifying its policy on misleading advertising, saying it does ban any false claims and prohibits things such as deep fakes, but it says that the number of ads on which it takes action for those violations is expects them to be very limited. Now, Google plans to roll out this ban in the next week ahead of the uh, December 12th general election in the UK, and then we'll make these changes more broadly uh, globally in January. Now, in response to Google's announcement, Facebook, which does not fact-check political ads, saying, quote, we've provided unprecedented transparency into all U.S. federal and state campaigns, and we prohibit voter suppression in all ads. As we've said, we are looking at different ways we might refine our approach to political ads. Now, putting these comments and these moves into context, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey recently announced that Twitter is banning all political and issue advertising, while Snap allows political ads but fact-checks all of them. All of this comes amid growing regulatory concern from legislators about the power of the tech giants. Federal Election Commission Chairwoman Ellen Weintraub recently called for a ban on micro-targeting in the Honest Ads Act, which proposes... Online political ads follow the same rules as TV ads, 
was reintroduced earlier this year after being originally introduced back in 2017. Now, political ads are just a tiny fraction of the ad revenue of these tech giants. But how the companies that we're talking about here, Facebook and Google, and to a lesser extent, also Twitter and Snap, decide to handle these issues around political ads will be very important when it comes to the regulatory scrutiny that they face. Melissa, back to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston in Los Angeles for us. Um, as Julia mentioned, a small percentage of revenue overall for all of these platforms, but are there but, bigger it's a huge but. Here's the huge but. It drives massive engagement. Okay, so these small, so in, and I think in the Trump campaign and the Hillary campaign combined, they spent like $80 million in 2016. But think about the engagement and the shares and how do they make money? They make money on selling ads based on engagement metrics. So it's, a, it's fuel, right? It's the most divisive stuff they can get on there and they push it out, engage, and then you sell other ads. You're right. But I, I think what's fascinating about this is that mega cap social media who, who control uh, the way we consume and the way advertisers advertise advertise are all making up their own rules right now and i it, this is 2.0 or 3.0 or 4.0 so and, and and they're willing to say at one point this would have been seen as total violation of free speech free expression free you know and and these guys are and these some of these people we're the most righteous people on those topics and saying we're keeping it all out there they know their business is at risk and the good news is we don't know what the answers are for social media and advertising because we're evolving as a society but but these are important folks that are making important decisions, and they're decisions they wouldn't have made a year ago. Yeah, I think there's a couple constituencies, right? They're under the microscope politically. Yeah. There's that. But also, I think there was pushback internally from their employees about how they felt about what the company should be doing. Mm-hmm. So I think that was an important constituency as well. I don't know that it's going to make a big difference in... I don't think it's going to make a big difference in earnings. I hear you're on engagement, but I don't think it moves the needle that much. Right, just because the revenue is so small. Well, Facebook's engagement on October 30th, that third quarter, was actually north of 66%, I think, for one of the first times in, in recent memory. The stock, look, I think the stock, for all the noise that's out there, and there's a lot of noise, you look at that third quarter and it was absolutely spectacular. Yes, you can say maybe the fourth quarter guide was a little squishy. I think they're sandbagging. I think this stock wants to trade back to that July 2018 high of 211 or so, and we'll see what happens when it gets there. All right. Up next, Tesla set to unveil its highly anticipated Cybertruck in Los Angeles tonight. We'll tell you how the big reveal could drive the stock. Plus, options traders are loving one soaring software stock up nearly 70% this year alone. We'll tell you the name and how they're playing it. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. There is something very interesting happening under the surface of the software space. Often overlooked names like Avalara, Coupa Software, Paycom, Anaplan, and Alteryx are surging, most more than doubling this year as trade tensions drive investors to domestic players. There is one more name reporting earnings next week, and our next guest says it could be the next software sleeper to soar. Tribeca Trade Group founder and CEO Christian Fromertz joins us now. So, Christian, which stock? I feel like we need a drum roll. Which stock are you looking at? So, looking at Viva, Soft, Viva Systems, which reports next week, so ne- next Tuesday. So, yeah, I mean, I really think the software group has rested a bit. Um, value really outperformed for the last couple of weeks. And we're starting to see a move back into the software plays as well as some of the more higher beta tech um, I think really it's, it, it's interesting that these names have come back in vogue. Um, right as the trade tensions move up, we're starting to see 
um, you know, it, it feels like uh, we're seeing some of the same plays that we saw earlier in the year uh, become really, really good. It's like deja vu all over again, to reference one of the Yogi's greats. Mm. <laughs> so what kind of um, move are you expecting? Are, are you looking sure. at Sure. So, so December options are pricing in a 9.5% move, uh, implied move, which I think is a lot. So I think the right way to play uh, the name is through a call spread, and you could do that through the December 155, 165 call spread. Uh, you're spending about three and a half dollars, which is about two percent of the stock's price, which I think is a really good way to kind of play it. And I think the other thing that's really interesting about this is we're starting to see some call accumulation further out. If you look out in March, uh, we're seeing some uh, some call accumulation just yesterday, which totaled about uh, seven hundred thousand dollars in premium, which is a good size. Right, and um, in in terms of the technicals. You like this as well? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these these software names are starting to do the same thing. They're starting to retake the 200-day moving average, the 50-day moving average, and this one's doing the, the same exact thing right now. So um, I think with some of the names like ServiceNow that have already moved up decently, uh, Shopify is another one, Coupa Software, I think this one is, has a good chance to kind of uh, revisit those those uh, recent highs as well. All right, Christian, thank you. Thanks Christian so much. Christian Fromerts of Tribeca. What do you, uh, I think it's really interesting. Names? When you see a name like that, it's a $22 billion market cap, <laughs> high implied move. That means the options are expensive. But that being said, I think that's probably how you want to play a stock like that that is expensive and it's also up 70% of the year. You probably want to define your risk if you have a directional inclination. All right. Up next, it could be an electric night for Tesla as the company gets ready to roll out its new pickup truck. We'll take a look at what investors are watching for in this reveal. And check out the Kramer cam. Jim has got the CEO of chipmaker AMD, whose stock has more than doubled this year. We got that full interview coming up at Mad Money, top of the hour. We're live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tesla trying to get back to all-time highs as the company gets ready for its big cyber truck reveal tonight. Phil LeBeau's got all the details on what we can expect. Hey, Phil. Melissa, you know the usual with these reveals. Elon Musk is going to put on a show later tonight in California. And when he does the Cybertruck, people forget about what they're going to show us. These are the things that people are going to be focused on in terms of the details about the truck. Range, towing capacity. We expect that it will be able to be a truck that you can plug in tools to, other accessories. Basically, think about uh, if you had a generator on wheels, so to speak. And finally, the base price, will it be under 50000 Elon Musk says that's where he wants to keep it at. This is him talking last month about the Cybertruck. My opinion, and this could be totally wrong, it could be totally out to lunch here, but uh, I think the Tesla Cybertruck is our best product ever. And they're not going to have it out to the customers until probably late 2021. We'll see if they give us some details today. That's the estimate at this point. GM today said that by the fourth quarter of 2021, it expects to have its first electric pickup truck. Ford likely will be in that 2021 time range as well. Rivian, maybe 2021, maybe 2022. And finally, Melissa, I want to show you this truck. This was announced today by Lordstown Motors. And you might be saying, Lordstown Motors? Who's that? Remember the old workhorse company? I shouldn't say old workhorse company. They bought Lordstown plant from General Motors. This is going to be the electric truck, the first one that they expect to build in that plant coming in the fourth quarter of 2020. As you take a look at shares of Tesla, remember, the reveal is oh, about 11, 11.15 tonight, Eastern Time. Mm-hmm. Melissa? Do we, um, you know, cash spend, cash burn has been a concern for this company. Phil, um, do we know anything about the economics of, of the no. build of this truck? 
No. That's, okay. that's the great fascination with this. The economics of it, and also, is it going to be a niche model? Or is this something where they're going to say, look, we think we can sell these and really take on the pickup truck dominance of the big three? I would steer more towards the niche model at this point. All right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. Um, We know that the crossover Y and the Model 3, supposedly they share lots of parts, and so there's some economies of scale there. But for the company to embark on a brand new vehicle, we don't know where it's going to be made. We don't know if there are common parts with another vehicle that they make. I don't know. There are a lot of questions. There there are a lot of questions. And the biggest question is, (laughs) can the stock continue from its 175 to 354 unabated move over the last couple months? And I would submit no. Now, I've said that now for probably the last 35 or $40, so that's been wrong. But you have to ask yourself, I mean, is this the sell the news event? I think it is. Now, the 386 level that we saw in June of 2017, I think that's what people are flagging. I don't think we get there. So 380, certainly on the charts, is a place that you can see resistance. Sell the news event means that this is an event that I think we are expecting to be a catalyst. I don't think that this is a catalyst. The catalyst for this company is doing 360 to 400,000 in deliveries this year and being profitable again. And so, you know, I... I you know I'm cynical on the stock. You know I'm short the stock. So, I, you know, my view is that these tend to be sideshows. The, the most important thing is, you know, can they make this at 45 grand? Probably not if they can't make the Model 3 at 35 grand. But the, the point, more importantly, is let's see profitability. Let's see free cash flow and follow through on what were trends that were extraordinary. And, and I think that's really the most important thing for the stock. The other thing that's limiting about the stock or about this particular truck is that a pickup truck is really popular in the United States, but not around the world. Yep. And Tesla's a global company at this point. That's what they are sort of banking on, right, that they could get economies of scale by being global. This is, this is niche in so much that as the U.S. is a primary market for this vehicle. Well, so Kathy Wood, for ARK Investment, big Tesla bull. She has been for a long time, been on the show a bunch. Today, she said, or on the network somewhere, she said that, that EVs are about to explode in America. And let me tell you what happened this week that I think is a lot more interesting than that. I think the Ford Mustang Mach-E a lot of transparency on pricing. They had five different models. They told you exactly when they're going to be. I'll bet you they deliver on price and execution, on timing, and that's why I think EVs explode eventually in the U.S. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Tim. A lot of news on Google in the last week or so, but their earnings reinforce this is a great valuation in a company that's growing in excess of that valuation. Chairwoman. Yes, I find myself in the uncomfortable position of agreeing with Dan. Oh. 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 I do think the protection is well-priced here. Godot, and if you want to stay long. Dan? Uh, yeah, I'm very comfortable being with Guy's Twitter here. <laughs> of course I think you should bottom there, Twitter. Okay. Nuance, breaking out to the upside, Melissa. That does it for us. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast and Bad Money. Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.